Welcome to Skim This. There was some big breaking news in D.C. this week. On Thursday, Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer announced he's retiring, giving President Biden a shot at choosing someone who could help decide the country's future. When somebody makes a promise like that, saying that they are going to be putting a Black woman justice on the Supreme Court, people are going to hold President Biden accountable for that. And in COVID news, public health officials keep taking guesses about when this Omicron surge will be over. We'll ask a doctor if things are looking up. We will have, in a matter of months, not 10 months, two months, we will have enough oral pills, IV therapies, that if you or I get COVID, you're just going to call me. I'm going to send a prescription to your nearest pharmacy, and you take a medication for five days, and then you're one and done. Plus, this week's been crazy for the stock market and for the IRS, who basically said, prepare for a bumpy ride this tax season. And if you're feeling tired just thinking about this week's news cycle, we spoke to a literal expert on happiness to try to find those good vibes. What the science shows is negative emotions don't go away if you like squash them down or pretend they're not happening or like try to like just work through them. We're here to make you smarter and the news less overwhelming. I'm Alex Carr. Let's skim this. Today, Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer officially announced he's retiring at the end of his term. When any justice steps down, it's a big deal. And this announcement is coming at a particularly pivotal moment for the court and for politics. To break down the impact here, we called up a friend of the show. Seema Mohapatra, I'm the Murray Visiting Professor of Law at SMU Dedman School of Law. She told us, even though Breyer doesn't usually get the most attention, he's played a key role in bridging ideological gaps on the bench. I think that as one of the more liberal justices that has been recently on the court, he had a lot of important opinions, but he also had kind of opinions that both sides of the aisle could relate to. He was known as somebody that could get consensus behind the scenes. And so even opinions that he didn't author, he was known to make sure that the justices had his point of view in mind. But despite his role as peacemaker, a lot of progressives had been calling on Breyer to retire in hopes of clearing the path for President Biden to nominate a successor. Breyer is older and people want to have an opportunity to nominate justices at the time that they control both the House and the Senate. There's reason for Biden to be worried about the fact that after the midterm elections, he might not have a Democratic Congress. That might be a problem for any potential nominee for him. Still, you might be thinking, if Biden replaces Breyer with someone who's ideologically similar to Breyer, a.k.a. someone liberal, that wouldn't actually change the balance of the court. There would still be a 6-3 to three conservative majority. But Mohapatra told us, first, we can't make assumptions about how justices will decide on a particular case. And second, the fact that the balance would not change, that is actually still significant because if this vacancy occurred during a Republican administration, the balance would change to even a more conservative Supreme Court. Also, there is a role of dissents in Supreme Court jurisprudence. And so even when you're in a 6-3, for a justice that's in the minority, they want to make sure that their viewpoint is documented in dissents. And so in future generations, when there is a shift in the Supreme Court, sometimes the dissents 
actually become the law in terms of looking at the reasoning of the dissent. So there is still a big role for the minority justices on the Supreme Court, but it also makes a difference in terms of the dynamic one person can actually change how the court gets along. And we all know that from our own workplaces. And if you can imagine thinking that this is your workplace for life, it makes a difference who's there and who is your colleague. On the 2020 campaign trail, Biden promised to nominate a black woman to the court. And Breyer's retirement gives him the opportunity to fulfill that campaign promise. Moha Patra told us there are a number of candidates who are apparently already in the running. And if one of them did get confirmed, we'd see more women on the court at once than we ever have before. And whoever it is, they'll likely get to weigh in on the future of gun rights, abortion access, affirmative action, and more. When somebody makes a promise like that, people are going to hold um, President Biden accountable for that. So there's every expectation that he is going to stay true to his word. And there's, there's quite a few female judges that would be great candidates. There have been a couple that have been talked about, Judge Jackson, in the D.C. Circuit. The good thing about the fact that President Biden knew that he would likely have a vacancy on the court is a lot of these candidates have been vetted before so that we can expect that these should be nominees that are not going to be controversial nominees because we've already had this particular Senate and Congress actually confirm them, even if it's for a circuit court position. All of the names that have come up have been people that are, you know, very, very well qualified and should be supported by both sides of the aisle. Even if there's not bipartisan support for a Biden nominee, Republicans technically shouldn't be able to block them from taking the bench. So stay tuned for Biden's pick and the ongoing confirmation process, which Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer wants to kick off ASAP. All right, let's get to some other headlines from the week's news and give you some context on why they matter. First up, tensions are increasing at the Russia-Ukraine border. The U.S. and Western countries consider an invasion as possibly imminent, and that fear is being felt on Ukraine's front lines. Last week, Biden warned Putin to stay away from Ukraine's borders, saying while he'd rather talk things out, he's prepared to deal out harsh measures if Russia doesn't comply. He's never seen sanctions like the ones I promised will be imposed. Even though Moscow denies it's planning to attack Ukraine, Russia still has approximately 100,000 troops near the Ukrainian border. So this week, Western countries ratcheted up their response. On Monday, U.S. officials put over 8,000 U.S. soldiers on standby for possible deployment to Europe. The U.S. also moved some embassy workers and their families out of Ukraine over the weekend and is talking to non-Russian oil and gas providers about supplying European countries should Russia cut them off. Several NATO allies, including Denmark, Spain, France, and the Netherlands, sent their own fighter jets and Navy ships to nearby countries in Eastern Europe. But even though the West appears ready to show some force, diplomatic efforts are still very much underway. On Wednesday, political advisors from Russia, Ukraine, France, and Germany held talks in Paris to try to de-escalate things. And U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken wrote to his Russian counterpart, saying the U.S. could be willing to negotiate on some things Putin wants, like arms control. You might be wondering how Ukraine feels about all of this. So far, Ukraine's leadership has told the West, 
chill out for a second. The threat right now isn't actually any more serious than at any other point in the last eight years of tensions with Russia. And all this flexing from the US, NATO, and Russia is creating panic in Ukraine, which its leaders fear could send its economy into a spiral. Putin's next move is still TBD, but it's safe to say the West is on high alert. All right, next headline. The stock market has had a bumpy ride. The Dow Jones briefly dropped by more than 1,000 points on Monday, and the S&P 500 had fallen into what's called, quote, correction territory, aka a 10% drop from its previous high. The biggest losses were quickly recovered, but that didn't stop people from saying something feels off. Here's what's going on. The stock market's performance typically reflects how investors are feeling all over the world. And right now, it seems like people are feeling pretty nervous. One thing that's making investors bite their nails? Inflation, caused by supply chain issues and worker shortages, is still rising all over the world. And it's especially high in the U.S., think almost 7% here versus around 5% in Germany. And it's kind of no coincidence that the stock market sell-off this week happened just before the Federal Reserve got together to talk inflation. The Fed, which is the group that sets monetary policy in the U.S., met this week and announced they were on track to raise interest rates in March for the first time in more than three years. It's a move that could help stabilize inflation and maybe calm some nerves. Another issue making people anxious and rocking the stock market is Russia-Ukraine tensions, with investors worried about what this could mean for supply chains in the oil and gas market. We should point out, it's not just the stock market that's taken a hit. Some cryptocurrencies are also dropping in value, though for some different reasons. Overall, hearing that the stock market, or any market, is having a wild ride can make people uncomfortable. The best thing to do in these moments is to remember investing is a long-term game, so it's probably best to stop hitting refresh on your stock portfolio or 401k. And our final headline this week. The IRS is kind of a hot mess. Treasury Department officials are warning that paperwork backlogs and staffing shortages could make for a frustrating filing season for taxpayers. Tax filing season for 2021 only started this week, and we already know it's gonna be a headache. Here's why. The IRS is pretty backed up because it's still dealing with tax returns from 2020. As of late December, six million returns still hadn't been processed. That backlog is partially because the IRS is understaffed and its employees are overworked. Because reminder, they did double duty handing out pandemic-related stimulus checks. We should note, Besides potential delays, there are a couple of other things that could make this year's taxes more complicated. Anyone who got advance payments for the child tax credit program will get a smaller refund, while anyone who didn't get a stimulus check might be able to claim a quote, recovery rebate credit. The IRS is saying sorry in advance and is reminding Americans to get started ASAP and file electronically with the help of a professional if you can. We'll leave the Skims Guide to Completing Your Tax Return in our show notes. On Tuesday, Pfizer announced it started testing a COVID vaccine that specifically targets the Omicron variant to see how that vaccine compares to the OG ones we got last year. And this testing is kicking off at a pretty urgent time, when caseloads are spiking around the world and here at home in the U.S. 
But even if the TLDR about Omicron is that it's basically everywhere, there are still a ton of COVID headlines we need to break down. So wouldn't it be nice if we could just call up a doctor and be like, Hey, did you guys read that thing in The New Yorker last month about how gone? I read somewhere. I think it was an NPR. Did you read that thing in Mother Jones about... I I read somewhere. Did you read that thing that guy wrote in the sand on the beach? Yeah! Luckily for us, we've got Dr. Kavita Patel on the line. She's a primary care physician in Washington, D.C., and a former policy director in the Obama White House. Dr. Patel... The first headline I have is from USA Today, and it says, Fauci says Omicron infections could peak by mid-February. And so just to start off with, can you give us a snapshot of where caseloads and hospitalizations are right now in the country? Where are they declining and where are they still on the way up? So overall, as a country, our cases totally are actually coming down. But if you're in, for example, Oklahoma, Missouri, parts of Southern California, parts of Oregon, and even parts of Texas and Florida still, you don't feel that way because cases are increasing. The reason you see total cases declining is because some of our most populous areas, think New York, think New Jersey, think Florida, have gone through our peaks and are coming down. But having about 800 or 750,000 cases a day is still a lot of cases, even on that descent. Fauci also warned against overconfidence in assigning a peak or really trying to make a lot of sense of where the virus is going. Can you just walk me through what's still concerning health officials? So two things that are still unanswered questions. One, is this our only peak? We could have, for all the people that have not been infected yet, we could have Omicron whip its way back around in our country. Cases are down, but then they immediately go back up. The other reason I think he's trying to warn us to not be complacent is, honestly, we didn't expect Omicron. And we know that our vaccines are holding up, but Omicron doesn't stay static itself. Every time Omicron is reproducing in a human body, it's actually mutating a little. It's not mutating enough where it becomes some new variant, but it is getting smarter. And so what we don't know is that with so many people infected, does it get a little smarter quickly and kind of change the game for us? What's great news is that study after study is showing that if you are infected with Omicron, it actually protects you against the variants that we had before. And that makes us kind of feel good that between infection, vaccination, and some of the other things we can do, we really are creating like a wall of immunity. And it hopefully will protect us going forward. And that brings me to my next headline, which is from Al Jazeera. And it says the Pfizer and Moderna boosters are up to 90% effective against Omicron. To me, this seems like encouraging news about mRNA boosters being effective. What else did we learn from this CDC study? Largely what that study was referring to were people who got Moderna or Pfizer originally and then got boosters on top of that. I learned that we need to warn people that that 90% plus is really for preventing severe hospitalization and death. But that's actually what vaccines are meant for. I worry that most people hear that and they think, wait a minute, but I had been boosted and I still got Omicron, but it's likely that you didn't go to the hospital. So that's a success. To me, the headline is Boosters keep you out of the hospital. It brings me to something that a lot of people in my life have been saying, which is getting Omicron feels kind of unavoidable. We're all vaxxed and we're all boosted and it just seems like we're going to get it. And I'm curious how you think about that. It's likely that eventually we're all going to get it, just like I got the flu four years ago and get a common cold. 
But here's why you don't want to get COVID right now. Number one, we still don't know any, enough about long COVID. It's been too short of a time period since Omicron to know what's happening. I see a lot of patients with long COVID and it's not easy. Number two, getting COVID doesn't mean that like life gets normal the next day. You're out of work for at least five days, maybe longer, and people don't feel great. And then number three, which I hope really kind of drives it home, we will have in a matter of months, not 10 months, two months, we will have enough oral pills, IV therapies, that if you or I get COVID, you're just going to call me. I'm going to send a prescription to your nearest pharmacy and you take a medication for five days and then you're one and done. And that is a future state that will let us travel, will let us socialize, will let us go to weddings. But we need a couple more months to get all those drugs in enough supply for anyone to be able to have them. A lot of people's pandemic point of view is still pretty black and white. Like we're either in lockdown or I'm living totally normally. Are we moving into a phase or do you think we've already moved into a phase where we just need to talk about situational relative risk and harm reduction and how that looks different for different people? I do think we're moving into that phase, whether it's conscientious or not. There's no zero COVID approach in our country, at least. And that means that we are going to be able to manage infections. You've heard the phrase, like, just live with it. I don't think we're quite there yet, but I think we will get there soon. And again, it's because of these therapeutics and having some options in case you do get infected. And so that's where we're headed. And if it helps anybody, I've made spring break plans for the last week of March. So I think that many of us are looking forward to a much better spring all around the world. Well, I'm excited for you to take that trip. My next headline for you is from the New York Times, and it says, Omicron spread could end the emergency phase of the pandemic, according to a top WHO official. What does that mean, emergency phase of the pandemic? Yeah, there's actually some official language attached to that meaning. It means that when there's a declared emergency, there's cooperation that can happen with all countries. There are certain patent restrictions that get waived where you can do certain things like do televisits with your doctor, all the way to the CDC being able to quarantine a cruise ship, for example. So those are all attached authorities that really come with that word emergency. But then there's also the kind of sense that the entire world will not be paralyzed by the disease of COVID, that we have moved on from where everybody is vulnerable to the disease of COVID to where, and I think some people call it endemic, I'm just going to be simple about it and say, where there is COVID, but instead of the entire map going red with COVID cases, there's just little pockets of like orange and red, and they go out as quickly as they came up. A lot of people are playing kind of armchair virologist right now and say that Omicron is milder, and as a result, future mutations are going to be milder too. Is that proven, or is that potentially false and dangerous as an assumption? So we're making this assumption based on past behavior of other viruses. And so there is this history of viruses acting that way, but we also know that COVID presents an outlier and that none of us have seen it before. It's thrown us for loops with some of the variants. So there is history in what people are saying in their armchair virology. But the counter to that is, again, we're not going to know if that's true until time has passed. You mentioned the word endemic, and this is another word that's coming up more, I think, in, in people's social conversations. Can you just skim what it actually means for a pandemic to become endemic? What does that actually mean in my life or your life? So bottom line, endemic means that it exists and it's out there, but it's not a threat, save for certain people. It could be where you live. It could be 
people who are older and not vaccinated, fill in the blank, but it becomes limited. If you're a 40-year-old and healthy, if you're a skimmer and you're 22 years old and healthy, we're all doing the same things to avoid it theoretically. When we shift to an endemic phase, it won't be that way. And it'll feel a little more like the flu. In a bad year when I was in the hospital, we had about 60,000 deaths in the United States from the flu. And that would be a great year if it was just COVID deaths, 60,000 only. But that's where we hope we can get to when it becomes more endemic. Dr. Patel, this is always so helpful. Thank you. Good. Thanks so much. What do Peloton, Kohl's, and Unilever have in common? We've got a trio of companies that are being targeted by activists. Specifically, activist investors. Think less protests and posters and more people throwing shade in spicy public letters. If you're thinking all this corporate drama sounds like an episode of Succession, we'll sum up how activist investing works in real life in 60 seconds. Activist investors want to change how a company operates, from its policies to its P&L to its leadership. We're talking major Kendall Roy vibes. He is gambling our last dollars at the track on a horse that's ready for the glue factory. And I'm calling for a vote of no confidence in him as CEO and chairman. Activists can be financial firms or even wealthy individuals, but their playbook remains the same. They see a problem at a company, buy enough shares to gain influence in that company, often because they get a board seat, and then force changes to that company. We've seen activists target all sorts of businesses, including some of the country's biggest companies, from AT&T to Wendy's to ExxonMobil. And in some cases, investors have made serious changes, like at AT&T, where activist investors made the wireless giant restructure and spin off huge parts of the business. People in favor of activists say they're trying to cut costs and make businesses more responsible, which we saw when a group of climate activists targeted Chevron to change the company's emissions policies. But haters say even though activist investors think they're right, they aren't always. And that could cause some serious financial downside for other everyday shareholders. Still, that hasn't stopped activist investing from becoming a more popular strategy in recent years. And this week, Kohl's, Unilever, and Peloton are all feeling the heat as activists circle their companies. This isn't Peloton's first headache in the past few months. Its stock price fell lower than it was pre-pandemic, its products came under fire for safety concerns, and its CEO was called out for hiring his spouse in a key executive position. As for the more old-school Unilever and Kohl's, they're seriously underperforming. And activist investors are looking to shake things up by trying to take Kohl's private and pressuring Unilever to improve its performance. Right now, it remains to be seen how these activist bids unfold for these three companies. But it's probably safe to say they don't want their businesses serving as the real-life inspo for the next succession showdown. How'd we do? Want us to skim a question from the news? Send us your suggestions to audio at theskim.com. It's the end of January, and that means the How to Skim Your Life Challenge is wrapping up. Over the past month, we've curated our playlists, deleted our apps, cleaned up our phone contacts, and put in our out-of-office requests, all with the aim of amping up the joy in our day-to-day -day lives. And while some of these tasks felt small and super manageable in the course of our day, it turns out creating a bedtime routine and clearing out the metaphorical cobwebs on our Spotify accounts actually have major health benefits. Our brains are like consistency devices, right? Like they really just like things to happen the same way over and over again. 
That's Dr. Lori Santos, a professor of psychology at Yale, the host of the Happiness Lab podcast, and she's a literal expert on happiness. That's why habits and routines can be so powerful. If you just give your brain the same stimulus over and over again, it kind of knows what to do. And you might think that that would make things boring or not very fun. But in fact, what it does is it lets your brain kind of overcome this what's called choice overload, right? Which is just like too many choices all the time. We forget we can add that routine in so many parts of our lives, you know, from what we eat to where and when we work to how we engage with our social relationships, right? All of this stuff can be so important, but we forget that we can kind of turn it into some routine and get rid of that clutter. Decluttering our lives not only helps our brain focus on the more important stuff in our day-to-day, but it's also good for our emotional health and well-being which Dr. Santos told us is more important than ever to focus on because of just how burned out and tired we are. I think we're in a burnout crisis, to be totally honest. And it's worth recognizing that burnout has a few parts, right? One is this cynicism, like you're just kind of annoyed with other people. You just think they don't have the best intentions. Another is just this part of emotional exhaustion, right? You're just tired. You're like sick of things. I think the pandemic is a spot where we're like sick of everything right now. And then the third part is a real sense that you're just like not personally powerful. You kind of lose your sense of like personal efficacy. Having these routines can help us in burnout recovery in two ways, right? One is that it really decreases the emotional exhaustion. When you have to figure out like, okay, you know, what of the billion things that I could eat tonight am I going to eat tonight? I have some free time. Which of the like 700 apps on my phone am I going to use? These are choices that, that feel like we have this freedom, right? Like, oh, I could pick. This should be so fun. But in fact, what it does is that these choices wind up exhausting us and it contributes to the exhaustion that we're already experiencing with burnout. And so just by like shutting some of those choices off, ironically enough, we can get the freedom to enjoy the choices that we do have. And so routine can be a huge way to deal with burnout. You know, you just have to have like the initiative to to put it into effect, to like limit your choices ahead of time so you don't get exhausted by all the choices that you do have. Besides creating and implementing habits around things we already do to help with burnout and exhaustion, Dr. Santos told us we can also create new routines that go a step further and actively help us check in with how we're feeling. Oftentimes in the midst of feeling burnt out when things are really busy, we can forget to take time to just check in to figure out what we're experiencing, especially if you're kind of feeling stressed. Don't just use stressed, like sit down and think like, oh, I'm just emotionally exhausted or I'm annoyed with my coworker. I'm frustrated. You know, I'm feeling sad. I'm missing. I'm feeling lost about what's going on in the pandemic. That like 30 seconds that you can take to really dig in and figure out, okay, what emotion am I actually feeling it? Label it, like notice it. That can be super powerful. And the great thing is it doesn't take much time. And this act of taking a little teeny tiny work break to notice what's going on, what you're feeling and what those emotions are, even if they're negative, all the science shows it can be really powerful for allowing you to navigate those negative emotions and figure out what the right next step is. What the science shows is negative emotions don't go away if you like squash them down or pretend they're not happening or like try to like just work through them. Like you really just need to sit with them and allow them non-judgmentally. As for one routine Dr. Santos wants to start in 2022. Use my self-talk a little bit more positively. 
We can get into these sort of mental chatter routines that feel really awful, but there's also lots of evidence that there are chatter routines we can get into that are a bit more positive. And one is engaging in a form of self-talk where you kind of like talk to yourself like a kind coach would. You even use the third person. So sometimes it'll be like, Laura, you can do this. You can get through this, right? Like actually referring to yourself with your first name. It sounds so stupid, but the research shows that really talking to yourself, it, it's almost like you're hearing a good friend who's giving you good advice, right? Just like, Laura, you can do this, right? That little moment of giving myself a little self-compassion, a little bit of grace, and a little bit of a pep talk, already it's been really useful. And again, it's something that you can stick in as a resolution or a new routine that's not going to take you hours and hours. It's just retraining the way you talk to yourself. We think happiness has to be like, oh my gosh, huge overhaul of my entire life. But no, it's actually these simple practices that we can engage with, put in as routines in our lives, and we can really experience the well-being benefit that comes from that. For a complete list of all the How to Skim Your Life challenges, head on over to theskim.com slash challenge. And the Rams, by the hair of their skinny teeth, deep. it is official. Kansas City wins it in overtime, 42-36 in one of the great divisional games of all time and one of the biggest heartbreaks you'll ever see ever for one team. It's the first time since 2009 season that neither Brady nor Rodgers will be on championship Sunday. Best weekend of football I've ever seen. In case you missed it, last weekend there were four Super Bowl-worthy NFL games and we've still got weeks till the actual Super Bowl. And according to Lindsay Jones, who's the senior NFL reporter for The Athletic, even Netflix writers couldn't dream up better TV than what we just watched. To get four games where all of them come down to the final play, that's extremely rare. And then you have, you know, kind of collapses by two legends of the game, Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady. I mean, that is like the pinnacle of drama. She told us, even though last weekend was pretty unusual, this whole NFL season has been a total wild card. Almost every Sunday, there was something unpredictable that was going to happen. We did see a lot of close games. But I think what made this weekend kind of exciting and really led to these close games was that we had a lot of really good quarterbacks. As Jones pointed out, two legendary quarterbacks, Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady, are now watching from the sidelines after losing their games. And while some fans are probably upset by that, it also helps keep the sport interesting. We've seen Tom Brady on the Super Bowl stage forever. We've seen Aaron Rodgers in the championship game, in the NFC championship game, over and over and over again. So it's kind of refreshing almost that you're getting this whole new group of quarterbacks um, and, and NFL stars that are going to be playing. As a new crop of football stars are emerging, the NFL has been trying to get new and younger fans to come around to the sport. But Jones told us that hasn't been easy. I think younger people are very critical thinkers and maybe not sticking to the traditional norms. And you're looking at the way that players are treated and wanting to look at them as human beings. And are they being 
treated as commodities and all of the head injuries and all of that stuff that goes into it. It's a challenge, I think, to sell the sport to a new generation of fans. But when you have a weekend like this, and hopefully the next couple of weeks with a championship game in the Super Bowl, where you have young and exciting players, and it's not the guys that your moms and dads watched forever, it's this new generation. I think that can really help. As the NFL tries to recruit younger fans, it's coming up against another challenge, its own reputation. Over the past year alone, the league's been criticized for not recognizing black coaches and turning a blind eye to bad behavior by coaches and owners, including racist and sexist conduct. And historically, there have been long-standing problems in the NFL concerning player safety, institutional racism, and domestic violence. People like me, it's our job to try to hold them accountable and force them to be better and not let, you know, when there is a season that is ending in a, such an exciting way as this one is to not overlook some of those things that went wrong, not give them a pass. When it comes to domestic violence, sexual assault, racism, institutionalized racism within the NFL, I mean, those are significant problems. And those are things that we have to keep addressing where you watch these championship games this weekend and you know, the, the Chiefs being the most exciting offense in football. And then you see that their offensive coordinator, Eric Bieniemy, has never gotten a head coaching job. He's never even gotten a head coaching offer. And he's become the face of the NFL's minority coaching hiring problem. So you have to ask those questions about these institutionalized systemic problems that are going on in the NFL. I think you can enjoy the games. I think you can enjoy having favorite players. But also, you know, don't take your critical thinking hat off. And remember that there is a lot of kind of seedy stuff going on behind the curtain, just like there isn't just about every, you know, billion dollar industry. If you're planning to watch the Super Bowl, even if it's just for the commercials or the halftime show, or let's be honest, the pizza, here's what Jones thinks you can expect to see. The final four that we have, we've got the Rams and the Niners. The Rams are the better team and the Rams should win this game. One caveat is that they've lost to the 49ers six straight times including two times earlier this season. They're the better team. They have the better quarterback. They're the more experienced team, so they should win. But weird stuff tends to happen with them against the 49ers. Um, And then I think the Chiefs are ultimately going to come out of the AFC. They're just more experienced. Patrick Mahomes is playing out of his mind right now. I just think that the Chiefs' experience and Patrick Mahomes being a superhero uh, is going to get the Chiefs to the Super Bowl. Thanks for listening to Skim This. This podcast was skimmed by me, Alex Carr, along with our associate producer, Kira Long. We had additional help this week from Sajeen Coriellis. Our senior audio engineer is Andrew Calloway, and Graylin Brashear is our head of audio. Skim This will be back in your feed again next Thursday. Until then, check out the other podcasts from The Skim. 9 to 5-ish is where we talk all things career, with our founders, Carly and Danielle. And Pop Cultured is our weekly deep dive into the culture stories you can't stop thinking about. Follow 9to5ish and Pop Cultured wherever you're already listening to us.